0: old as time itself unfolds, many souls bound together with one destiny, the fate of the world rests upon their shoulders, grand adventure, political intrigue, and many deadly enemies line their path to greatness, this is the story of the Dreadful Six, Dragon's Bane. When we last left, the group had escaped the slavers and made their way through the desert where Anubis had prepared an oasis for them. Upon leaving the oasis, they were picked up by a trade wagon driven by Lee and taken to the border of Normis Bay. After gaining entry into the country, they stopped at a river to refill their water skins and were attacked by two black bears, leaving Abrax critically wounded. Having defended themselves from the bears, They continued until Abrax collapsed. Rushing, they found themselves coming upon a small village, in which an elderly woman gave them refuge and treated Abrax's injuries.
1: You know, maybe now Abrax won't rush headlong into a fight he isn't ready for. Hopefully he's learned his lesson. The night passes by smoothly, especially since this is the first night in over a week that they have been inside a sturdy structure. The fireplace gives off the perfect amount of heat to let them go into a deep slumber. Every few hours, Carissa comes back into the front room to check on Abrax and his wounds, changing out the wrappings when needed. When the sun rises, Marcel awakes to Carissa standing over the fireplace with meat sizzling in a pan.
2: Good morning, young man. Get yourself woken up and I'll have breakfast ready in a jiffy.
3: How's Abrax?
2: He is sleeping. I have a feeling that he will need to stay relaxed for a couple days. Then he should have the strength to start moving around.
3: Well, thank you for everything.
2: Don't worry about that, darling. You'll be paying me back soon enough. There's plenty of work to be done around here, and I see that you don't have many supplies. You three do some work with and for my people, and we'll give you what you need to make it to Hagapal. Deal?
3: Yeah, it sounds like a fair deal to me. Where shall we talk to about this work?
2: Sweetie, in this village, all you have to do is look around.
3: Well, we'll do that as soon as we leave here.
2: Speaking of which, uh, go and wake up the others. Breakfast is ready and it'll get cold faster than you think.
0: Marcel stands and stretches slowly, his back popping slightly back into place after sleeping on the hard floor. He then goes to the other side of the room and begins to rock Kriv and Formir back and forth with his foot in an attempt to wake them.
3: Hey, wake up. Our host has made breakfast. I thought I smelled bacon.
1: I'm getting up. Did she make enough for everyone?
3: I would figure so. Don't think she would have told me to wake you up if she didn't.
1: I will wait until everyone else makes their plate. I am a Goliath, after all.
3: Any updates on Abrex? She said the pace she made seems to be working, but he's still very weak luckily we got him here before any kind of infection could set in but according to her it's best to wait a few days
1: what are we going to do for three days around here
3: well we kind of made a deal that she would provide us with clothing food and housing if we help keep the fields done and livestock and so on
1: sounds like a fair deal what I said. I agree. I will be there in the moment. I'm going to go and pray over Abrax once more. See, this right here is the advantage of finding a small village with a grandmother-like figure in it. You don't find that anymore these days. Kriv goes over to Abrax and kneels, offering a prayer to Ymir for healing and strength to return. Meanwhile, Marcel and Fulmir enter the eating room where the elder has set up the breakfast foods on the dinner table. She sets down the final dish, filled with sweetened oats, and smiles as she gestures for them to sit and eat.
2: Please, dig in. It's been so long since I've had guests around my table for breakfast. Is your larger friend going to join us?
3: Yes, he just stopped by over at Abrex for a moment.
2: How thoughtful. Well, don't just sit there, help yourselves. Any tools are on the plates already.
0: Marcel, Formir, and their host begin to portion out their breakfast, passing the dishes from one to the other as if they were a family almost. As they finish their choices on the food,
1: Kriv enters the room and sits across from the Elder. Thank you for breakfast. You've opened up your home to us and we haven't even asked your name.
2: Oh, heavens me. I didn't think about that. Carissa, you can call me Carissa.
3: Thank you for your hospitality, Carissa. Hi, Marcel, this is Kriv, and this man is
2: Formir. It's nice to meet you all properly now. If I had turned you away, I would have gone against what I've tried to instill in my people for the past 30 years.
3: It is rare to find a place like this anymore. Where strangers are welcome to not run out immediately.
1: With what Marcel told us earlier, we should eat so we can go get to work.
2: Speaking of which, Criv, Thomas has a mule that he uses to plow the fields with, but it sprained its leg earlier in the week. I don't mean to put too much of a burden on you, but you're the only one large enough to maybe help them, him in this situation?
1: I will gladly do so, but he needs to leave the whip at home.
3: Well, if anything, why don't I drive the plow while Criv pulls it? That'll give Thomas the opportunity to tend to his mule.
2: I'm sure he'll appreciate that. His house is on the western side of the village, directly beside the cornfield.
0: The group dig in to the hot, home-cooked mill in front of them, carrying on small talk in between bites with Carissa. Not much is spoken of other than the weather and how it's been for the past few weeks, the livestock numbers, and questions about the village itself. After about an hour, the table is cleaned and dishes put away. Marcel and Criv set out on the search of Thomas's house, while Formir hangs back for a short moment with Carissa. Is there a shepherd in this village?
2: Of course. His name is Ozark. He should be getting ready to take the herd to the second pen now. Just head north from my house, and you should see him in the herd before too long.
3: Thank you. Also, what time do you usually eat in the... I would like to have everyone enjoy another meal together if possible.
2: Dinner will be ready when the shadow of the sheep is as long as you are tall. Come back here straight after and we'll eat. Yes, ma'am.
0: Four mere heads north in search of the shepherd and his flock, while Marcel and Kriv have made it nearly halfway to the fields now.
3: You know, Kriv, I find it pretty funny and kind of ironic that the guy with both skin tone and strength of a meal was... Now going to do a mule's job.
1: Marcel, if you keep talking like that, I'll replace the blade on the plow with your head.
3: Come on, Kriv. You gotta stop being so serious all the time. You had the opportunity to say one hell of a comeback, but instead you just threatened to use me as farming equipment. You gotta be more imaginative.
1: Very well then, Marcel. You will have my permission to speak lightly of me when your head is above my stomach. Even when you are standing on a small rock.
3: Nah, that's a good one, I guess. Jeez. It'll take a lot to get this guy to be more entertaining.
1: Pick up the pace, short legs. We are running late already.
3: That's because you ate enough for all of us, including Abrex.
1: It would have been impolite and a waste to leave any food uneaten after she took the time to cook it.
3: Griv, just do me one favor. If we're going to be traveling together for a while... Make sure you have the coin to pay for your food, or we'll all go broke.
1: There is no need to worry, my small friend. I will make sure we have plenty of food for everyone. You know, I wonder how many calories a Goliath has to consume in one day. It's got to be, like, a big number. Like, more than any other, like, human subspecies, right? According to the biology book, um...
0: They take in roughly 9 to 12,000 calories per day.
1: I mean, makes sense, I guess. They're like nearly twice the size of any other humanoid on Terra. I mean, discounting orcs, of course. Those guys are huge, too. Anyway, we're getting off topic here. Crib and Marcel eventually find their way to Thomas's house. As they approach, there's a bit of a commotion from the back as an older man rolls along the ground, sliding to a stop. He slowly sits up and has a very angry look on his face.
4: Most farmers to put a sword through your neck just for spraining your leg, and if you kick me again, I might just do it. Uh, excuse
3: me? What?
4: Oh, sorry. Damn mule
1: done pissed me off. Who are you? Uh, Carissa sent us here to give you a hand in the fields today. Bless her heart. I appreciate
4: it, but with no mule, we won't be doing any plowing today. Well, we've got
3: a plan for that. Crib here is going to pull the plow, and I'll drive it so you can tend to your mule or whatever else you need to do today.
4: Like I said, I appreciate it, but there's no way that any of us can pull that plow. It's just too heavy.
1: Where is the plow?
4: It's over there in the barn. I'm telling you, though. Where's he going?
1: Crib walks
0: over to the barn mid-sentence and enters.
4: Just watch. He'll be back in a moment.
0: There's a loud noise that comes from the barn, followed shortly by Crib emerging, carrying the plow on one shoulder. He returns to Thomas and Marcel and stands there, looking smug.
1: Now, where does the field need to be plowed today?
4: Oh, uh, we'll need to go over yonder a ways and plow about three acres worth of land for planting this season. We only got about two weeks before we need to start planting. Well, you
3: let us worry about the field, and you tend to the mule. Make sure you can get back to work as soon as possible.
4: Keep in mind any large rocks. That plow can bust through most but any big ones, and the plow snaps, and then you are tumbling
1: All right, my small friend. Let's get to work. That man said he didn't care about that plow being heavy and awkward. Kriv and Marcel make their way to the northern side of the field and begin setting up the plow. Meanwhile, Formier is nearing the herd outside of the village as he walks through the tall grass he begins hearing small bells ringing in the near distance, cresting the hill he sees a lone shepherd corralling a flock of sheep, but having a tough time as the sheep seem to be nervous about something. Formier approaches slowly as to not make the sheep even more nervous.
3: Good morning Reza said that you might be up this way working the livestock today.
0: I appreciate the help. They must have gotten spooked last night by something. I'm having some serious trouble getting them rounded up and moving so far. Well,
3: maybe I can help. I'm very in tune with nature and its inhabitants. So maybe they'll listen if I relay a message.
0: I'm willing to try anything at this point. Gonna take us four hours to walk them from here to the other pen. And then another three hours to make sure they're safe inside of it.
3: Well... Let me try something and be prepared to open the gate.
0: Formir begins to channel his primal power once more as his form begins to change drastically. He begins to shrink down slightly as fur begins to grow all over his body, taking the place of the clothing he wore. A tail emerges wagging as his tongue now hangs out of his mouth as he pants and begins barking orders at the sheep.
1: Did did he just turn himself into...
0: A dog? That he did, my friend. So is the power of the druids. The ability to change themselves into beasts of the land at a whim. Amazing and terrifying powers indeed.
1: You know how useful it would be for shepherds if they had that ability or knew someone that did? Then again, I guess we're about to find out. Formir, in his new form, begins running in a large circle outside of the fence, barking and panting loudly at the sheep in an attempt to get them grouped together. This definitely beats everything I have ever seen.
0: Don't stop! It's working like a charm. Formir and Ozark work together and get the flock worked out of the first pin and begin moving them south for to the second pin. Meanwhile, Kriv and Marcel are finding out that plowing a field that's dry isn't as easy as it seems. Are you helping
1: push this thing at all?
0: Yes, of course. You overgrown man-child?
3: He keeps getting stuck on rocks.
1: Well, push harder! Kriff pulls with all his might, yet the plow does not budge. He stops to try and catch his breath, turns around to look at Marcel. There, perched on top of the plow handles, Marcel sits, eating a raw potato. Kriff slowly sets down the reins of the plow, sneaks up on the plow before grabbing Marcel and throwing him about thirty feet into the freshly plowed dirt. You lazy dog. No wonder we're getting stuck on every rock we come upon.
3: Alright, I guess I deserve that one. You carried the plow on your shoulder for like ten minutes and never even ran out of breath. How is that more difficult than pulling it?
1: Because I'm not dragging an extra 180 pounds through solid dirt and rock with it on my shoulder, you imbecile.
3: Imbecile? Who the hell are you talking to? You side excuse for a giant?
1: I could kill you with one arm behind my back.
3: I'm right here, Tiny.
0: Marcel reaches toward the earth and picks up a small rock. With a quick motion of his hand, his eyes briefly light orange as the rock is catapulted directly at Kribb's face, making solid contact and drawing blood.
1: Oh, you want to use magic? Get over here! Oh shit. Can I please be the one to tell this part?
0: Yeah, it's pretty funny to begin
1: with. Oh, this is going to be good. Kriv takes off in a mad dash to reach Marcel and eventually catches him. Even though Marcel is running as quickly as he can while throwing rocks over his shoulder at Kriv, he picks him up, slams him on the ground, and begins to open palms smack him on his back and the back of his head so as not to cause any serious harm. Marcel finds a way to roll over and face Kriv and begins doing the same. They wind up rolling around in the dirt, smacking each other for a few minutes until they hear a voice calling out to them.
4: Apollo's chariot, what are you two idiots doing? He started it.
0: The loud crack of a horse whip rings through the air. Krib <laughs> and Marcel separate faster than a lightning bolt strikes and sit wide-eyed on the ground, staring up at Thomas, who is holding a long
1: whip in his hand.
0: Now, dadgummit, I ain't your damn daddy.
4: Get yourselves up off the ground.
1: I swear if you mock me again...
4: What did I just say? I ain't never had this kind of nonsense on my farm and I ain't about to start today with you two idiots. Either get back to work or get the hell out of here.
0: Thomas storms off back toward his house, but leaves behind the jug of water that he had carried out to them. Crib and Marcel look at each other and stand slowly. There are no marks on them from the whip that Thomas had in his hand. Instead... They see two sprigs that have been cut in two in the opposite direction of them.
1: I apologize, Marcel. Yeah, me too.
3: Thomas could have really messed us up with that whip, but he didn't.
1: I can see why he would have, but outside of not really knowing us that well, why didn't he?
3: Well, why don't we ask him this evening after we get done with the field?
1: Then let's get to work, for real this time.
0: Marcel and Kriv return to the plow and begin to put in some real work. Working together, they make pass after pass, bursting through the smaller rocks within the soil. Meanwhile, Formir and Ozark are nearing the second pen.
3: Oh, I think it'll be fun for me to come out of Wildship for now.
0: So you're a druid?
3: Yes. From a young age, I've always had a strong connection with nature. My village helped me train in the lifestyle of a druid. And eventually, I found my way to a druid camp and was accepted after a lengthy trial period.
0: I've always heard that the druids are particularly picky when it comes to accepting outsiders into their circles. What circle were you trained with?
3: Well, I, I fit in really well with the wildfire. The power to heal and begin anew was something I could not pass on. However, my attunement to the circle has really now just begun to bloom, so I'm not really exactly the most powerful druid you'll ever meet.
0: Well, you're the most powerful druid I have met so far. As Ozark finishes his sentence, two wolves emerge from the nearby tree line and begin to eye the flock, as well as the two shepherds. They pace back and forth, crossing one another's path like clockwork. They look hungry.
3: Did you notice our company?
0: Yes. They've been coming for a few weeks now. I believe a new pack has moved into the forest nearby. They've taken three sheep so far, which isn't as bad as I had predicted when I first started to notice them. However, I'll have to keep a real close eye on my flock.
3: They're, uh... They're acting strange. I've had a few dealings with wolves. However, I can... Till they seem on edge. Almost like they're following orders.
0: For all we know, they could be devils in disguise for me. Let's get these sheep in the pen and get it locked up tight. They shouldn't be able to get into this one.
3: Yes, sir. By the way, how did you end up sheep herding the flocks in this village?
0: I came into the village in a similar fashion as you and your friends. Carissa did the same for me as she's doing for you. But I felt as if I had found a new home. So I stayed. That was 30 years ago. But it doesn't feel like it's been that long.
3: Must have been nice to finally find a place to settle down. I'm guessing you've seen many people come through the village.
0: Oh, of course. Many have come and gone over the years. Most of the people that live here were born here, though. The only folk I know of that came into the village and stayed... Other than me, are Thomas, Leslie, and Creedmore. Thomas is kind of hard to get along with, but he's got a heart of gold. The other two passed a while back.
3: Two of my companions went to uh, help uh, Thomas with his field today.
0: You better come back sometime tomorrow and tell me how that went. <laughs> is, uh, is this the pen? Sure is. It's much better built than the first. Likelihood of wolves getting into this one is slim to none. They should be more than safe in here.
3: Good. I may ask Carissa about these wolves when I return to our home. Surely she'll have more information.
0: Possibly. I've told her what I've been seeing, but there are other residents that I'm sure have been telling their witnesses as well. The sun now begins to brighten the sky with shades of orange and pink as it begins to descend behind the trees and hills in the distance. Marcel and Kriv return from the field to Thomas's house with the plow, covered in dirt from head to foot. Blisters have been worn onto both of their hands as sweat still drops to the earth below. Criv carries the plow back to the barn and stows it where he found it. Meanwhile, Marcel approaches the front door and knocks.
3: Give me a minute. I'll be right there. It's just us, Thomas.
1: No rush. Kribb returns as Thomas opens the door to his house. I'm figuring you got her done, did you? Nearly. we we'll only have about three more passes before having it done completely.
3: We can come back tomorrow and finish up if you want us to.
4: Nah, that won't be necessary. Mule's leg's feeling good enough to make a few passes tomorrow. I'll finish it up and go to planting the crops then.
3: Alright, uh, well, I guess we... I ought to head back to Chris's and get ready for dinner.
4: Well, I was just pulling some coffee off the stove if you'd like to share a few cups before you go. We would be on there to do so. Well, then don't just stand there. Come on in and find a spot to sit. I'll have the coffee ready in a bit.
0: Marcel and Kriv enter the house and find themselves a place to sit on a couch in the front room. The house itself isn't the largest in the village, nor is it the smallest. A fire burns in the fireplace, crackling periodically, filling the room with warmth. The room itself is rather dull. There's no artwork, fine cabinetry, rugs, or shelves. Instead, there is just the couch that they have sat upon, a chair, and the fireplace. However, the empty room does house one item that sticks out like a sore thumb. On the mantel above the fireplace is a potted plant, withered and dried from years of neglect. Dishes can be heard as they are moved from one place to another in the next room as Thomas utters something under his breath. Finally, he enters the room carrying two cups and a bowl. Like usual, I can't
4: find a damn thing in this house. I found two cups, but one of us is gonna have to lap it out of a bowl like a dog, I figure.
1: (laughs) I will take the bowl, Thomas. I guess there is more room for coffee in it, is there not? Indeed
4: there is. Kind of fitting, too, for a big guy like yourself to have double what we get. You probably need it.
3: Just mind your table manners and don't slurp, crew.
4: It won't bother me none
1: if you do. We were wanting to ask you something.
4: All right.
3: Ask away. Earlier, when you walked up to us fighting and you cracked your whip, why didn't you just crack it on us instead?
4: All I needed to do was get your attention. I didn't need to cause you harm.
3: Yeah, but that doesn't look—that doesn't explain the pain look on your face.
4: Oh, uh, I, uh, I wasn't always alone here. I had a family once. Came here with a wife and two kids. Went to leave the village and just wound up back here after a few months. Alone. If I can ask, what happened? Heh. <laughs> I don't think anyone other than Carissa has asked me that. We had planned on going to Caspian Beach to let the kids see the ocean, and from there hop on and boat and go to the Cobalt Isles, settle down there and start up a little farm, grow old and play with our grandkids and die happy. We got about halfway in between Midgar and Caspian Beach when my wife started to get a little ill we didn't think it was something serious or anything so we decided to stop and set up a sturdy camp for a few days and let it pass before we kept going. Now, we had been warned about the Red Hand before, so we made sure to pull off into the tree line to stay out of the direct side of the road.
3: Yeah, the guards at the border gave us the same warning.
4: They've been around here for way too long. I'm hoping someone will do something about them one day. Anyway, we decided to stay there for a few days to give time for her fever to break, but it just got worse the next day. I couldn't leave her there to get medicine, and I couldn't leave my boys there without anyone to watch over them, so I just started hunting and gathering in that area. I always told my boys to be real quiet once the sun went down so they didn't draw any attention to us. I went down to a nearby creek, after a hunt one night and started getting the rabbits cleaned up and ready for cooking when my boys started wrestling around and making a whole lot of noise, I heard them from a mile away. I knew that if I could hear them, someone else could too. I dropped everything and took off that wave, but by the time I got there, four men had already found our campsite and started pillaging. I tried to fight them off, but I ain't never been much of a fighter. One smacked me in the head with a club and I just fell to my knees. It's like my whole body just gave up. I couldn't do nothing, not even talk. But they went into the tent and started carrying stuff out, including my wife. And they just tossed her down on the ground and left her there. My boys, though, They were held down in front of me and they made me watch while they slit their throats. All my boys could say was how sorry they were and I couldn't even muster the strength to tell them that I love them and that I forgive them. The words just wouldn't go from my head to my mouth no matter how hard I tried. Then one of the men took a sword and slashed me across my back. They left thinking they had killed all of us. but... For some reason, the gods spared me. Now, I I knew my boys were dead. There wasn't anything I could do for them. So I went to check on my wife, and she was cold. I noticed a spot on her head where they threw her down, and it never even started to bleed. I reckon she died while I was gone hunting. And that's why they threw her down instead of taking her with them. I stayed there for a while, just holding on to them, hoping that maybe Diana might would just look upon us and breathe life back into them. But she never did. I buried my wife and children in unmarked graves.
1: I didn't have anything left. The logs in the fireplace shift and crackle as the bottom log collapses, shooting embers up the chimney while providing a beautiful display.
4: So I came back here. Carissa helped me get this place set up. I've been here for 20 years now, tending fields, raising mules.
3: I'm truly sorry to hear that, Thomas.
1: You may be the strongest man I've ever met. I know that I would be unable to continue on after experiencing that.
4: It's not like I want to. I want to see my family again. But for the time being at least. I have a job to do. It helps knowing that we'll be together again someday.
1: Thank you for the coffee, Thomas. We should probably be heading back to Carissa's now for dinner.
4: No. Oh, thank you. You boys are welcome here anytime. You may have to find me in the fields, but welcome nonetheless. Come back soon, and I'll have a few more cups for that coffee. Yes, sir.
3: Have a good night, Thomas.
4: You as well. Tell Carissa I said hello and thank you.
0: Marcel and Crib exit the household and look toward the center of town. As they start walking away, they hear the faint sound of music coming from behind them. From inside Thomas's house, the sweet sound of a stringed instrument subtly plays, filling the emptiness.
3: So, uh, Kriv, he said that happened 20 years ago? I believe so. Uh, his sons would have been about our age. Maybe that's why he was so upset.
1: I see. Before we leave for Hagenthal, we should all come by and say goodbye. Kriv and Marcel make their way back to Carissa's house and meet up with Formir about halfway. They quickly talk about how their days were and what they did for the remainder of the walk. As they approach the house, they hear the sounds of pots and pans being placed down on the table, with multiple voices coming from the interior. When they enter, they see Carissa standing at the cauldron with a young man, dressed in dirty and ragged clothing. He stands at about the same height as Carissa, right at 5'5". He turns and faces them as they enter, with an almost fearful look on his face.
2: Henrik. These are the men I was telling you about. Kriv, Marcel, and Formare.
5: Hi. Henrik, is it you
3: look like you've seen better days?
5: Yeah, I guess so.
3: From what I've seen so far, you came to a good place. She's done a wonder for me, as
6: you can see.
1: Abrax enters the room from the dining area, carrying a stack of plates in his arms. It's about time you woke up. We went and worked all day while you napped.
3: I'm glad to see you back on your feet or claws. How are you feeling? Sore,
6: extremely sore, but I'm getting my strength back bit by bit. I've been praying to Lord Anubis for strength and healing and using the power given unto me, I'm trying to expedite that process.
3: I can lend a hand if you'd like.
6: Of course, anything to get me well as soon as I can to repay Carissa, and of course her people, and then make our way to Hagenfall.
2: Should only be another day or two before he has the strength to make the trip. I think he may be able to work some tomorrow to help build himself up again.
6: I had planned on it, Marcel. How did the plowing go in?
3: It wasn't easy. The dang mule kept talking back to me all day.
1: Easy there, small friend.
3: Aw, oh, come on. It wasn't horrible. But I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to do it every day for the rest of my life. Thomas is a hell of a guy.
2: That he is. He's been feeding the majority of the village for nearly 20 years now.
1: He told us to tell you hello, by the way.
2: It's a hello I gladly welcome. We don't get to sit down and talk much these days.
5: Is supper almost ready? I haven't eaten in a few days.
2: Yes, dear. It will be ready in just a few minutes.
5: Ozark and I were stalked
3: by a few wolves this afternoon. Something is off with him, though. You know anything about that, Carissa?
2: I know a fair bit. Let's discuss it after dinner. Abrax, did you get the table set? Indeed, ma'am. All right. Help yourselves. Bowls and spoons are set. So just grab one and take a seat.
0: Each member of the group takes their turn spilling their bowls with stew and taking a seat at the table. Small conversation takes over until focus is directed towards Henrig.
1: So Henrig, where are you from?
5: Um, originally I'm from Midgar. That's where I was born anyway.
3: So how did you wind up this far from home to begin with? It's not exactly next door.
5: My parents died of a fever and... After that, I couldn't make the payments on the house or for the taxes, so they foreclosed on it. I didn't want to be homeless in Midgar, so I started walking, but I, I didn't know exactly where I was going. I hit the border and saw a group of people being led by horses and turned around. I was scared to keep going.
6: Hmm. When you say you saw a group of people, what did they look like, per se?
5: Well, kind of like all of you, honestly.
3: That's because it was us.
5: Really? I thought it was a couple of guards that made arrests or something.
1: No, it wasn't that at all. They were slave traders, and we were their newest merchandise.
5: Man, am I glad that I turned around when I did. How did you get away from them?
6: Well, just say that we were determined not to be enslaved, and... They agreed to let us go, maybe with some shrewd negotiation.
3: What he means is we killed them, Marcel. What? The kid is out in the world now, and he probably gonna see and hear something as brutal, or not even. I mean, it
5: could be worse. Well, it's not like they were the greatest examples of humanity, right?
2: Any of those who partake within the abomination that is the slave trade deserves to be dealt with. Too many times I have heard children going missing from the border. Families left murdered in the woods just for someone to be taken to Dragalia and put into the mines to work. It's sickening.
1: Agreed. Maybe one day we will be able to do something about it. Until then, we must pray for vigilance.
2: I agree completely. Heinrich... There is a tub in the back room with water over a fire. If you need to take a bath before going to bed tonight.
5: Yes, please. It's been a while since I've had to bathe properly.
2: Well, follow me and I'll help you get the water to the perfect temperature. Boys, would you mind clearing the table and just putting the dishes next to the washer pot?
6: Not at all, ma'am. We'll have it cleared up by the time you get back assisting the young one.
0: Carissa leads Henrik into the back room and the group begins to hear the sounds of water being poured into a large container. The group begins clearing the table, scraping any extra food into a waste bin and placing the dishes into the washing tub. Kriv begins to go ahead and wash the dishes for Carissa while the others lean against the counter space and rest. After a few moments, Formir speaks up.
3: That kid has a lot of learning to do. The world is a dark and cruel place. It would swallow him whole if he's not careful. You know, Formir, wish I could tell you that you're wrong, but hopefully he'll find his way. He might even remain here like Thomas and build a life in the village. Well,
6: that would not be the worst idea. It seems peaceful here. Well, I would say it seems is
1: the key word here. I do not think that I could do it. I need action within my life, some form of adventure or excitement.
3: And I think I speak for everyone here when I say I feel the same way. About those wolves, I know Carissa said she would tell us what she knows, but they did not act like any wolves I'd ever seen. I've seen wolves stalk from a distance before, but they would usually dissipate after seeing shepherds or guardian animals. They didn't seem to care. And there was an uneasy look about them. I can't quite put my finger on it.
1: I'm sure Carissa will be able to shed some light on them for us.
3: Speaking of which, here she
2: comes. Crib, you put those dishes down. I'll wash them in a few
1: minutes. I'm almost done. I'll just finish up if you're okay with that.
2: Well, all right. But from now on, don't go washing dishes around here. I'm still able to do some of the things around the house.
1: Yes, ma'am.
0: As Kriv finishes the dishes, Carissa calls the group back to the dinner table and invites them to sit.
2: Now, about the wolves.
3: Yes. They didn't... They didn't act like normal wolves, Carissa. There was a strange feeling as if someone was telling them what to do.
2: I guess Ozark told you... When they showed up about three weeks ago? Yes, ma'am. Well, three weeks ago, there was a full-blood moon in the night sky. I know how this is going to sound, but it's said that when there's a full moon, that the veils between our world and one much darker thins and crossovers are much easier.
1: What are you saying, Carissa?
2: I think it's possible that something dark and evil has inhabited one of the wolves, and it has set up something similar to a small militia nearby. We have had a few attacks on the flock, but none of the sheep have been consumed. They have been killed for sport, seemingly.
3: That's that's no guarantee that there has been a wolf inhabited by some kind of evil being, though.
2: I've seen him.
3: Well, what do you mean by him?
2: When I was just a girl, my parents would tell me scary stories every full moon night. I loved the stories, but there were always one that my father said that wasn't just a story. It was a story of a devil sent back to the underworld by Athena and Artemis.
1: I have never heard anything like that.
3: I have, and I'm sure Abrax has as well.
1: No, mm, certainly. The devils
6: sent back to the underworld, regardless of the pantheon they belong to, are some of the most vile to ever exist. Would you happen to have this devil's
3: name?
2: Crixus, master of the beasts. You all have heard the great myths of Heracles, correct?
3: Who hasn't heard of Heracles?
2: Fair point. But do you remember specifically about the labor of the Cretan bull?
3: Yeah, I'm familiar with that one.
2: There is a large part of that story that was left off the record books. While it was debatable between historians and the twelve labors being historically accurate, the one labor that they all agreed happened was the one of the bull. What they also agree on behind closed doors is that the bull was inhabited by a powerful devil. Do you remember why Heracles was sent to deal with it?
6: If I'm not mistaken it was because of the destruction of the crops and that the bull was knocking down some of the orchard's walls.
2: While that is correct, it's only half the evils that were pouring across the land. This bull was the father of the Minotaur, a great and powerful beast that was trapped in the labyrinth by Daedalus through the orders of King Minos. Along with that, the bull began a rampage across the countryside having learned of its son's fate. When Heracles arrived in what is just a few days northeast of Rivendell, he saw a bull that stood nearly 16 feet to its shoulders with sharp teeth like dragons of old. Its eyes were bright red with a cloudy black pupil in the middle. When Heracles approached the bull, it exhaled fire, consuming Hercules and burning him severely. A battle like no other since began, leading to the cliffs on the coast where Heracles slammed the beast into the earth, causing the land to collapse into the sea. Afterwards, once the beast had been subdued, Athena and Artemis combined their power to exorcise the devil from the bull and send it reeling back to the underworld.
1: If this is truly the same devil that inhabited the bull... And we stand no chance against such a foe.
2: There's no guarantee that these wolves will pose a real threat to the community as of yet. So far, they've only stalked and killed a few sheep. However, it is said that when the devils escape from the underworld, they leave behind nearly 80% of their power, as it is impossible to find a suitable host with the, the dragons extinct now. They build their power back slowly over time, which means that he has not regained his full power yet.
1: Where did you see him? Carissa stands and motions to the group to follow her to the large window that looks to the east. Just when she is about to speak and point to where she saw the wolf, a very large black wolf steps out from the tree, his eyes glowing a bright red and fire dripping from his mouth. He looks at the group and seemingly smiles an evil smile and turns and disappears again into the darkness.
3: That... that is no natural creature. Gods, that wolf is twice the size of any I've ever seen.
2: I'm sure that Crixus has returned and inhabited that wolf. Maybe they will move on, maybe they won't. There is no way of being sure as to what they will do.
3: Has anyone scouted where their den may be?
2: No, I did not want to send anyone to try and scout the camp as of yet, out of fear that the wolves might see it as an act of aggression and begin attacking soon after.
3: I understand, but we can't just sit and wait either.
2: I don't have the manpower to send out to scout it or try and drive them away.
1: We will do it for you. It's the least we can do to repay you for all of your hospitality you've shown us. When are they most active?
2: They seem to be the most active at dusk, just an hour or so before sunset.
6: Then that is when we will set out and see if we can discover where their den is. Then we can come up with a plan to either eradicate them or at the least drive them away.
2: Thank you. Not just from me, but from the whole village.
0: As she finishes speaking, Henrik enters the room and sits at the table.
5: Why does everyone look so worried?
2: Oh, it's nothing, child. Did you enjoy your bath? <laughs>
5: <laughs> That's the first bath I've had with warm water in nearly two weeks, so yeah, I loved it. Well, I
6: wasn't going to mention anything earlier, but I will admit you do smell much better
5: than before.
2: Hmm.
5: I think I may turn in for the night. Where do I need to sleep, Carissa?
2: There's a second bedroom attached to mine with a door. You can sleep there.
5: Thank you. Good night, everyone.
0: As Henrik leaves the room, Carissa stands and addresses the group one more time.
2: In the morning, would you be willing to take a cart to the river down south and bring back some fresh water?
3: Of course. And hey, Brax, you want to tag along for that? I hope you feel a little bit better. I am
6: feeling pretty well, honestly. So I believe I'll ride with you if you do not mind the company.
2: Beautiful. Thank you, boys. Good night.
1: We should take watches tonight, in case the wolves return in the night. Agreed.
3: Who's going on first watch, then? If no one objects, I can. Would you like to join me for me? Sure. I think I saw a deck of cards in the cupboard use that to pass the time. Be sure to leave the cards on the table for when Crib and I get up for watch.
1: I believe we'll do that. So let me get this straight. They're told by Carissa that there's a high probability this wolf is possessed by some kind of devil that went toe-to-toe with Heracles. And they just immediately want to volunteer and go check it out? Pretty much. That's one of the stupidest moves I've ever seen. And I've seen you dancing at taverns. Very funny. This is ridiculous. Either way, the first watch passes slowly as Formir and Abrax make rounds every hour walking the outskirts of the village, keeping a watchful eye out for any signs of wolves. Fortunately for Abrax, though, when they have the chance to come in and play cards, they aren't playing for money because, wow, does he suck at poker. Finally, around the fourth hour... They set out on one final round before waking Crib and Marcel.
6: I doubt we'll see anything tonight with it being so late.
3: I agree, but we should still have a look. Let's just walk together so we have two sets of eyes. If I miss anything, you may notice it.
6: I know Kriv asked when we were in the desert, but still,
3: I would like to know who it is that you tend to pray to. I am one of the few left that still prays the soul. Northern Goddess of the Sun.
6: I thought her worshippers had died years ago.
3: Many did, and her temples were destroyed by Loki afterward.
6: Figures that Loki would have his hand in this. From what I've heard,
3: this guy is a real pain in the ass. Whenever we get to a larger town or city, we'll have to go to the library. See what they have on Loki and the Northern Pantheon. Then you'll truly see how vile he is. Well, I look forward to the research, then. I was pleasantly surprised by Anubis and how he conducted himself. I always thought of him being similar to Hell, you know, dark and creepy, all over, no fun to be around.
6: I wouldn't say that he's exactly fun to be around, but if you listen every time that he speaks, you'll learn something new, though I've never really been... Hey, bricks,
3: right there.
0: In the distance... Closing in on the livestock pen, Formir points out a single wolf sneaking up on the sheep.
6: Go, get the others. I'll watch him and see what happens. Now seems to be our best chance to follow them back to the den, when there's not much light to be here.
3: Agreed. I'll be back as soon as possible.
0: While Formir is gone to retrieve Kriv and Marcel, Abrax watches as the wolf slowly creeps to the fence surrounding the flock. It begins to dig, but suddenly stops and moves to a new location and does the same. The wolf repeats this process three more times until it finally begins to back off, headed back into the woods. At this point, the rest of the group walks up to Abrax.
3: Where did it go?
6: Right over there, into the tree line. Though we may need to hurry, or we may lose the tracks and the shrubbery around the trees.
3: <sighs> Give me a minute. And I will guarantee that we can track it successfully.
0: Once again, Formir's form begins to shift. But this time, instead of a smaller dog used for sheep herding, what takes his place is almost a perfect copy of the wolf that went into the tree line. He growls slightly and begins to walk toward the woods. When the group begins to follow, Formir takes off in a sprint to
1: catch up to the target. How long has he been able to do that?
3: I don't know, but if it's going to help us track the wolf, I'm just glad he can do it.
6: Well, we better get going, or we won't be able to keep up with him. I'll do my best to mark the trees so we can find our way back.
1: The group chases Wolfmere through the trees in an attempt to keep up, while Abrek swipes at the nearby trees, trying to mark their way back into the village. An hour passes by quickly as they dash between tree limbs, bushes, and leap over small stumps. Eventually, they watch in the distance as Formir's wolf form rolls forward suddenly. Formir stands his normal self once again. Formir stops and leans against a tree, panting.
3: I still have a scent. I could track like this for now.
6: Good, because I don't want to keep running through the woods in the dark after a wolf that may or may not be my enemy.
3: Um... How exactly long have you been able to do that? I felt a surge of power after we left the Oasis. I said a fervent prayer, and just as all you did, I gained new abilities.
1: (coughs) That sounds like a level up to me.
0: Can you take anything seriously for longer than five minutes?
1: No, you got three minutes at most.
0: (sighs) Great.
3: We need to keep going. Surely we're getting close starting to pick up more sense, so I think you may be right.
0: The four of them continue on for another hour, marking trees and finding tracks from the wolf. Eventually, they come to a small opening in the tree line. There, in the distance, they see two wolves seemingly guarding a small cave opening. The wolves' eyes dart back and forth as they pace intermittently between one another.
1: That's gotta be it. We won't know for sure until we see Crixus again
6: we need to be sure that this is the right place. Over there, look.
1: On the opposite side of the opening emerges that same large black wolf that they had seen earlier that evening. However, it is moving much slower than before, and has entered the opening backwards. As it turns slightly to move more directly to the cave mouth, our heroes see that the wolf is dragging a bear. What? It's dragging a bear? This thing went out and killed a bear on its own? And now these four idiots are going to try and take it out for the safety of the village. These guys are idiots.
6: That shouldn't be possible.
1: And yet, it is now undeniable that Wolf is possessed by Crixus.
3: I have a feeling we're going to be coming back here in the future. Yes, we made a promise to Chris that we would help him. She has done more than enough for us to make the risk worthy in my eyes. Damn it, why'd she have to remind me of my grandma?
1: For those of us that knew our grandmothers, I think she did that for all of us.
3: Well,
6: my grandmother was actually eaten by my grandfather.
4: Uh,
3: so, it's, I think it's safe to say she doesn't remind us of Abrax's grandma. Indeed. Let's get back and try to sleep for a little while before we head to the river.
0: As they head back to the village, they can't help but feel eerie of the fact that there is a devil just a couple hours away, in which is building a fortified bunker nearly, filled with wolves. The moon now is over halfway across the sky, lighting up the surrounding area as much as it can through the treetops. Smaller wildlife can be heard scurrying through the darkness with the occasional call of an owl, searching for his next meal. When they reach the village once more, they notice that the moon has become covered by clouds, barely letting any light through. They make their way back to Carissa's house to try and get a few hours of sleep before sunrise. Seemingly, Crixus did not notice them. The rest of the night passes peacefully outside of the loud snoring from Crib, keeping everyone awake for about an hour and a half. They all wake up to the smell of cooking food once again as Carissa has prepared breakfast for everyone. The group, Henrik and Carissa, share another meal as they all set out on their different tasks for the day. Children are now running through the sh- small roads of the village, playing with one another to keep out of the way of the working men and women. Kriv, Abrax, Marcel and Formir load up and take the water wagon down to the river to retrieve water for their houses and livestock. After a two-hour journey, they finally reached the river.
6: I think I'll wait in the cart for now, if that's alright with you.
1: I understand, Abrex.
3: Yeah, if a bear dominated me, I wouldn't want to run the risk of running to another one. Ha,
6: really funny. You do realize that tortles here are known for eating literally anything. plant, living tissue... Living creatures, dead creatures, you know, as long as it's organic.
3: See, Crib, That's how you do it. And I'm, I'm trying to get his smack talk up a little bit, up to par with the rest of us. Can we just get the water and get back? I was supposed to go see Ozark again this afternoon, and help him train livestock do- dogs.
1: I've always heard that the dog learns best from another dog. Nice one. Touché. The only way I see of doing this is to back the wagon into the deeper part of the river and pull it back out.
6: That may be the easiest way of doing it. If anything, it's probably how the villagers obtain the water.
0: They back the wagon down into the river and allow the water to fill it. Kriv grabs the reins and pulls along with the horse to get it back onto land and then they all head back to the village. The road isn't exactly smooth, so water sloshes back and forth, spilling out onto the road ever so often. As they approach the southern entrance of the village, they see on the other side two children running quickly, as if they were being chased in a game of tag. A split second passes as two wolves rush after the children and attack. Screams from the village can be heard as the wolves lift the lifeless bodies and take off back toward the woods. Kriv, Marcel, and Formir take off as fast as they can after the wolves, but they are not fast enough. Abrax commands the horse to gallop to the site in which the attack happened and finds a mother on her knees, sobbing uncontrollably.
6: No. No, God no! please. Please, not the baby! I'm so sorry. I will pray for their safe transition from this life to all eternity.
3: I was afraid something like this would come from what we did last night. I didn't think he
1: noticed us. Carissa was right. He saw it as an act of war.
0: At this time, Carissa comes running up and falls to her knees beside the mother and wraps her arms around her.
2: This village is no longer safe for our children. Boys. Yes, ma'am. Handle it. Go to my house, go into my bedroom, and under the bed there is a dugout with my son's former equipment. You will need it.
1: The four men go to Carissa's house and move her bed to reveal a wooden hatch on the ground. As they open the hatch, they find multiple swords, a great sword, shields, and armor sets enough for everyone. They all take the time to get dressed and try out the balancing of their newly found weapons. Finally, they reconvene in the dining room.
3: Well, I we was going to do this for Chris to begin with, but now we've got to do it for the kids. Let's do this.
6: If those wolves have souls, I will make sure that they burn for what they have done I am ready to fight.
3: Crixus has turned this innocent nature into abomination. He and his pack must be eradicated.
1: Yes, we will wait until the sun begins to set so that the wolves are out hunting. When the den is short on numbers, we attack. Ymir, for the atrocities done today, we ask that you lend us your frigid strength and durability to strike vengeance upon our foes.
0: The group exits the house and returns to Carissa to say goodbye and to check in before they leave.
2: I will tend to her for now. You boys be careful, and please watch out for one another.
3: We will,
1: I promise. Tonight, Krixis dies.